1: Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. Uh, It is Thursday. I like to call it Friday Eve. It gets me excited. Um, If you only watched the first hour of the debate last night, you may just be waking up because it puts you to sleep. Uh, For those of us who watched all the way through, uh, the yelling probably kept us awake for another hour. Uh, A lot to break down about that debate uh, in a little bit. We've got a great panel of uh, RNC Type folks. The chairman of the New Hampshire party, we're going to have that first primary, Chris Ager, is here with us, as well as the former chair of the Republican Party of Massachusetts, Jennifer DeSore. Be really interesting to get their takes and how they think not only the candidates did, but the RNC and Univision. Let me give you a little profile or preview. Uh, It wasn't good. Um, Also, the impeachment process really kicked off in earnest today. The House Oversight Committee holding a hearing. Uh, with three witnesses, but really trying to lay out the initial pieces of the case and the evidence. Um, At least we'll see how they did. I think this is the beginning of the process. The interesting thing is, I think on the heels of a government shutdown, part of the point of doing this was to get some attention. I'm not sure it's going to get it. Uh, Speaking of that government shutdown, it is looming. Tick, tick, tick. Here we go. But also last night, Trump was in Michigan uh, talking to the United Auto Workers who are on strike. And that was his counter-programming effort, like he did with Tucker Carlson last time, remember? Um, I actually thought he did a good job and he hit the right tone in what he was really getting at. I'll break that down in just a minute. So you know what? Let's get into it. I want to break down the debate in a little bit, but before we get to it, I want to make sure that we're up to speed on everything else that's happening in, um, in Washington, et cetera. So the impeachment hearing into President Biden kicked off in earnest today. The House Oversight Committee was trying to lay the groundwork for why they're doing this. This is what we've been talking about. I've asked these members of Congress that have come on the show before, if we can't get the American people to understand what you're doing and why, it's going to be a very hard sell. It's impeachment after all. And let's face it, the Senate isn't going to do anything on this. So it's up to the House to really make the case as to what's happening. I've talked to you guys about this before. The, the evidence about Hunter Biden being a scumbag is pretty unconvincing, right? I mean, just the, the money that he got paid, the number of Biden family associates. I mean, just yesterday, we talked about the fact that, like, the Biden's name is on the wire document, like he's wiring this money from China and he's got President Biden's address like he couldn't have used his own address. There are legitimate questions that need to get answered about these business endeavors. The, the people, what were they paying for? What money may have transacted that ended up in Joe Biden's bank account? What? I mean, if everyone else is getting paid and I'm talking everybody, as you have seen, it's not that big of a stretch. But I think the, the House Republicans need to show it in some way. Uh, that's my take on this at least. But I think this idea of why was the name on the wire? Why would you put your dad? You know, in fact, I would go the opposite way. If I knew my dad was the former vice president, potentially running for president, the last thing I'd do is put his name on a wire from a bunch of Chinese companies. I mean, that's actually really stupid, unless it was intentional. But those are all good questions that need to get asked. Um, and I think it's interesting because the Democrats keep saying, "Well, there's no evidence. there's no evidence. I don't know that there was a ton of evidence when they went after Trump. It's this is why I've always said, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. The Democrats laid the predicate. They did this with judges and nominees in the Senate years ago. They started peeling this back. They changed the rules, and then they get mad when Republicans do it. They started this. I don't mean, you sound like an eight year old, but it's true. They went after Trump twice. And as I said multiple times, he was out of office. So you weren't going to get him. So, sorry, this is what happens. So they've got all this evidence that they're laying out and they've got some witnesses. Jonathan Turley, who I think is a phenomenal uh, legal expert, is testifying as well. And they're making the case as to why this is legit and what you actually have to prove in terms of uh, indictment, or rem- I mean, impeachment. Remember, impeachment isn't a court of law. This is a political... Uh, Consequence, action, right? You're not convicting. Him. You don't go to political jail. You get impeached, and everyone keeps forgetting that this is, the standard is whatever politics is. The Democrats, like I said, they impeached Trump when he was out of office. The remedy, ultimately, if you're convicted in the Senate, is that you get removed from office. You couldn't remove a guy who wasn't in anymore. They went through with it anyway. They didn't care. So I just want to put the pump the brakes on that thing, but. Again, aside from the debate last night, the other thing that was happening is Trump was out in Michigan uh, at the UAW. And the thing that I thought was great about this is that he really got past the argument, right? The UAW wants more money. They want a 40% increase. Wow. And then they want to work 32 hours and have that considered a 40-hour work week. I mean, I don't know. Like, It sounds like Europe, like France. I would like more money and less time to work. I mean, this is crazy, but that's what they're fighting for. And Biden, as you saw, went out on the line and said, fine, I'll give you, I, I'm supporting you on the 40-hour deal. I mean, uh, here's the problem I have, just so we get it. What would what, what, federal workers say this? Once you've set the predicate that you only have to work 32 hours to get a 40-hour work week, plus you get a 40% increase, why doesn't everyone else do this? I'll take that deal. I mean, that's insane. That's Europe. I mean, even you are, probably the French, you'd be like, that's a horrible deal. That's a horrible French accent, by the way. I'm not that good at it. But that's, the, I mean, the idea that these guys are going to get that kind of a deal, the president came out. But Trump went there and changed the, the the narrative. The message was, you guys are getting sold out. It doesn't matter what the deal was. And this is why I think he was spot on with his message. If you're going to get sold out to electric vehicles, that are not union made with parts made in this country. Then who cares what deal you make? Your job will be obsolete. It will be gone. That's the message that Trump said. Hello. What if, if, if you get the biggest deal in the world, if they give you a million dollars a year to every job, union job, but there's no more jobs and you get nothing. These guys are getting sold a bill of goods. And it's interesting. I don't know that the press entirely picked up on this because they don't want to. But this is the problem. The union leaders don't want to tell them this. You saw the head of the UAW talk about how great Biden was, although he hasn't endorsed him. But Trump was at least honest with them. If we go all electric, you won't have a job. I mean, you will have massive job losses. And so they're just, they don't want to tell them this. I mean, Trump said it doesn't make a damn bit of difference what you get because in two years, you're all going to be out of business. He's at least saying to them, hey, I support. Gas-powered cars. If you want to buy an electric car, that's fine. He gets it. But that's, I, I mean, I, I just can't believe that we're that people aren't waking up and realizing this. You can support any raise you want, but if the job doesn't exist, it doesn't matter. And I thought Trump did a great job of making that contrast. He also did a great job of making it clear that he wasn't at the debate. And you know, anyone who questioned why he wasn't there tomorrow, if you watched it, and we'll get to this in a minute, I think he even was like, wow, that was embarrassing. I'm I'm not going into that anytime soon. Um, the government shutdown uh is also obviously we're now Thursday to Friday, Friday. I mean, we're ostensibly from right now, just just over two days out. And it's gonna happen, right? Um at midnight on Saturday, it's gonna happen. And they're all warning. All the government, the the Office of Personnel Management, OPM is already warning of the of the Thing and I was flipping through the um, the morning shows. They're all in meltdown mode. They're like, "Oh my gosh, there's not." Good. And they're right. I mean, the government is shutting down. Just so we're clear, that's not hyperbole. But this is where I think, and I said this every day this week: Republicans are going to get killed politically. All of these people who can't afford stuff, and it's real, by the way. People at the lower end of the economic spectrum, they can't. They got. They got bills to pay. You still have to buy food. You still have to put gas in the car. And if you're not getting paid, yes, everyone keeps saying they're going to get paid back. I get it. They will. But if you need money today or tomorrow to pay your daycare bill, your school's education, the gas in your car, we all talk about how Bidenomics is killing us. It is. What do you think it feels like for people living paycheck to paycheck? Service members who are the E5s, E6s, E7s. I mean, I just, I, I get it. This is, Republicans right now, tell me what you're for. Let the American people know why you're fighting for this. They can't, well, we're not necessarily for the border, we're for this. I mean, there's nothing. There's no consistent, consolidated message coming out of Washington from the House Republicans. No matter what they do, just to be clear, they will not make this deadline. And if you pass nothing, nothing, which is what they've done so far, just to be clear, They've passed zero. You cannot say this is the White House's fault or the Democrats' fault because you haven't even given something for them to reject. There is nothing that Republicans in the House agree on that they can say to the Democrats, reject this or negotiate with us on this. And therefore, they're going to get blamed and rightly so. Right? You can't say, we passed a bill, the Senate passed a bill that we should negotiate. The Senate passed something. They sent it to you. Reject it. Pass it. Modify it. But right now, they've done nothing. All right. Well, on a somewhat brighter note, Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, showed back up in Washington yesterday, and he got asked a ton of questions about what's going on. There are now 30 Democratic senators who have said he should resign. Um... He has stepped down as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and uh, Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland has taken that back over. He Apparently, they're saying he'll have it for the rest of this Congress. And Cardin is retiring, so I don't think that this is sort of the, the drug deal that they've made because no one cares because the guy's retiring, and they're just letting him be a caretaker on the way out. But Menendez, um, it's going to be interesting because he had to face the music earlier today in a closed-door lunch. I kept thinking, what is he going to walk in and be like, here's a jacket stuffed full of cash with you. Here's a gold bar for you. I mean, his colleagues aren't stupid. There's a difference between presumption of innocence and whether or not he resigns. And Mark Halpern the other day made a great point, which was the only thing he's got left to play on, to trade on, is maybe resigning. But, you know, I think for a lot of these guys, they're not stupid. Even Cory Booker. His sort of mentee said he should step down. That's how bad it is. I mean, you just can't explain this away. It's to say I kept $480,000 in cash with gold bars because I was worried uh, for emergencies. I mean, there's no one, I don't, Elon Musk doesn't keep that kind of cash around. Bill Gates doesn't keep that kind of cash around. I mean, that's just, it doesn't pass the smell test. I mean, if you said I, I kept 50 grand, maybe. But $480,000 in cash and gold bars with the fingerprints of the Egyptians that you apparently bribed? I don't know that you can explain that. And by the way, in an emergency, how many people are walking around going, hey, I got a gold bar. Can you give me some gas? Never happened. But, you know, the upside is, I brought it up earlier, uh, the Senate did vote unanimously, or I guess to, to reinstate the dress code. So that was a big blow to Schumer. I mean, you try to coddle the lowest common denominator because you want to let John Fetterman walk around in gym shorts and a hoodie. I mean, you're going to get rejected on a bipartisan basis. At some point, if you can't dress the part, go home, step down. He's got a Democratic governor, Shapiro, in Philadelphia. If you really don't want that, then, then you can replace him. This is not a political thing. You get to keep the Democratic senator. But get somebody that's not an embarrassment. You don't just keep going, oh, he doesn't like dressing it. Uh, Grow up. Speaking of, I I brought this up the other day about how um, all these Target stores were closing. All in blue cities, by the way, right? San Francisco, New York, and uh, Seattle. And now Philadelphia, I've watched these images, is um, getting looted as well. Because the word had spread that a Philadelphia judge dismissed all these criminal charges against a a former police officer who killed someone. So this was the response. Like, let's just go loot the city.
0: I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, And we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics
1: by Faith. That's how they are protesting. Smashing, committing violence. It's just, I I just don't get... And the, the, the silence from the left is deafening, by the way. This is like the BLM riots. It's okay. You can smash this. You can break it. Where's the question? Why aren't the press going to these Democratic elected officials and saying, these are your policies. You guys want to defund the police. You want to decriminalize all of these things that were, would have put you in jail before. Stealing, vandalism, violence, destruction. Nope. Now it's, well, we have to let them do it. And soon, I guarantee you, by the way, that all these guys are going to come back and say, I can't believe these companies aren't, are shunning big cities. Yeah, they are. It's your fault. But no one's actually talking about like what Kamala Harris would call the root cause. The root cause is your policies. You're killing the cities. The only reason I really care about this is because a lot of these people, I think, are going to move to the suburbs. I don't want them there. Let them stay in the cities and deal with their democratic policies. It's their fault they're electing these folks. I want to get to our panel. Uh, we have two, a state chairman currently. Republican state chairman of New Hampshire, Chris Ager. He is obviously, that's a big state, first in the nation primary. That's coming up. Um, this is going to be crucial. Who will make it? Who won't? What did last night's performances mean? And then Jennifer Nassir was the former chair of the Massachusetts Republican Party. Uh, she is the founder of Pocketbook Projects, which empowers women and gets them the economic tools to do better. Uh I want to get both of their perspectives, on not just on the candidates, but on the moderators, on the RNC's role, et cetera. So this is going to be a great discussion. Chris, I want to welcome you to the show, break down what happened last night. How are you? Great. Thank you, Sean. Good to be here. Good to see you. So let me just ask this right off the bat. What were your what are your thoughts about how that debate last night went?
0: Well, my overall impression was it, it was a little bit too much of a scrum yeah. for what I like to see. And you know the talking <laughs> or, or over anyone. each other. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, the talking over each other. Um, I don't think it helped anyone. And uh, just the way the format flowed and some of the questions, I, I just uh, wasn't wasn't real impressed with the entire uh, the way it went down. Um, but um, I, you know, there were a couple of um, interesting points, kind of to take away. It seemed like Governor DeSantis looked a little bit more statesmanlike, um, and yeah, I think he may have helped himself. Um, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley had, you know, the, at times they looked really good, and then other times when the argument back and forth went kind of detracted. And, and Governor Burgum, he's actually uh, someone I think, you know, most people had maybe never heard of. Right. And every time he gets a chance to speak and, and get this story out, uh, I think it helps him. But um, it it was a little bit disappointing the way that the scrum and the the arguing back and forth and, you know, write down who should be voted off the island. I I didn't think that was necessarily
1: a good uh, question to ask of that group either. So I'm trying to think of what order to take this in, Um, because I agree with you. I don't I didn't see any. There's nobody that I saw online in the media by text. I mean, no one's saying, "Wow, that was really good last night," or, "Here's what I learned," or, "Here's who I think came out well." There is no one that I think maybe didn't do any harm, but I don't know that anybody did any good. I mean, again, I think we're going to have another debate that doesn't move the needle. Um so so let's let's kind of go through before we ta- let's let's work backwards instead of talking about the candidates, let's talk about the process. Universally, everybody looked at last night and said they were talking over each other. Uh it didn't, didn't bode well. What, what could be done from your standpoint? So I, I'm not uh, about debates in yeah, general. Well, I mean, just but, debates. but how do you structure? Yeah, I mean, like I looked at yeah. last night and I've got yeah. some ideas. I talked to, you know, Mark Halper and I talked about them this morning on our debate prep call. But what, what would you say? I mean, if someone said to you, chairman, there's going to be a debate in New Hampshire, fix it. Yep. So, um,
0: first, these are hard things to do. So it's it's um, it's very difficult um, to get the right type of questions. And what you think might work in reality may not work. But I think you know specific policy questions that you might even give the candidates in advance because they have scripted answers for a lot of things as well. But but give them the topic in advance. Here's what we're going to kind of ask you about. But they did. And tell us. You know, tell us your policy and, and have give everyone a chance maybe to answer uh, the same question. Kind of hard with, you know, six people, but um, give everyone a chance to answer and, and not allow the people to step on each other. You but, know, but maybe so, there's a way we could do that.
1: Yeah. So here's a couple ideas that I had. Number one, three mm-hmm. moderators is too much. You pick one. One person does it. What do you think about that?
0: I think that's great. I mean, picking the best person that you know—I think that would be a good idea. Um, that way, there's less of the moderators being part of the show. Yeah, you know, trying to to, to look good and and really focus back on the candidates.
1: All right. So I had a—I've been very open about this since last night. I thought the idea that Univision was a official partner, sanctioned by the RNC, was a huge mistake. Now, for everyone listening, I want to be crystal clear where I come down on this, and I said this before on other matters if you want to reach out and broaden your appeal in a general election, I'm 100% for that. Politics is about addition, not subtraction. If we, have to garner, if we want to garner more people and take our message of conservative principles, 100% on board. This is a Republican primary in your state, caucus in Iowa. The voters and the grassroots of our party are trying to figure out who is the best person to be the standard bearer, right? Right. The idea that Univision or CNN or NBC cares at all about that or has any clue is nuts. Why was Univision a sanctioned partner of the RNC? Yeah,
0: I don't know. I, I, I'm not on that uh, that committee. Um, I believe you know the, the value. I think is you know trying to trying to show that you have a bigger tent and to you know to reach out to Latino voters who are trending our direction. Sure, but. I think one, one moderator from Fox, I, I would have preferred, it was a little bit distracting. Um, and I did, I did kind of look at the c- camera, you know, quite a few times looking at Univision, you know, wh- why is Univision there? So it, it distracted me a little bit uh, from the debate from the candidates. I think taking the focus away from the moderators and putting it more on the candidates is, is the way to go and. It shouldn't matter who the moderator is, right. At the end of the day, as long as they're getting good questions out there.
1: Yeah. All right. Through the miracle of technology, we've been able to bring Jennifer into the discussion. Uh, Jennifer, I, I was just saying to the chairman, I don't know why Univision played a role in that. I he and I I'm with them. I get the idea of speaking to new audiences, and I'm for that in a general election. But I don't think that that served. It, it helped last night. I don't think there was a Republican voter that saw a, one of the questions. Not one of the questions that was asked last night. DACA, CRT, is something that a Republican voter in any state is saying, gosh, I'm glad I know that now.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, it it really was, I heard your conversation, it really was distracting. There were too many moderators up yeah. there. And the questions weren't toward they weren't they were geared more toward a general electorate, not toward the primary voters. And if our if what we want to do is make sure that primary voters are voting, that people are voting in a primary, we need to hone in on those issues that are important to them.
1: The media has systematically lied to you.
2: it's not that they're not important, but that's not what we're, what we talk about, right? When we have, you know, record high inflation and an economy in the tank and open borders and crime on our streets, there's so many other things we need to talk about.
1: So Chairman Ayer, I want to, I want to ask you this. You, in new, for the folks that are voting in New Hampshire, what issues do you think that they wanted to hear about and maybe didn't hear about last night? Or do you think it was covered?
0: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think they tried to cover it with Fox Business, with the economy. But, you know, it, we're back to it's the economy. Stupid, I think, um, where the economy is driving a lot. And the second thing that that's kind of, you know, unnatural is the border. You know, we're a northern state. We have a northern border. It's only 50, like 52 miles. But we still see smugglers from Mexico bringing people in from Canada. And um, it, it's, it's a problem that is getting bigger all the time. So the border, and they did address that uh, somewhat, and the economy seemed to be the two highest issues in New Hampshire. Um, in some of the cities, it's crime and homelessness. And in the suburbs, it, it tends to be taxes and then education. Those seem to be the, the four issues. But again, it's suburb versus
1: city. It depends where you where you live. Um- let, let's get into candidates for a second. Who who do you think, um, if anyone, stood out last night? Jennifer, I'll start with you.
2: Um, well, I mean, I think Nikki Haley does, right? Because she just seems like she's the adult in the room, and she, you know, I think she she had a great one liner. I think Chris Christie with his Donald Duck comment, as 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 you know, off as it was and definitely calculated. It was kind of funny. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it was Donald Trump. He wasn't in the room. He right. wasn't there. And at, at, everyone wanted him on stage. Every single person on that stage wanted Donald Trump in there. And I think that that is why he his numbers keep being where they are.
1: You know, uh, Chris, do you think that anyone made any ground, especially in your state of New Hampshire? Did, is this, was that a push last night? Was that just sort of, you know, maybe we rearranged the deck chairs a little, but do you think anybody actually is going to move, uh, especially in, in New Hampshire?
0: Yeah, it, it it didn't seem like anyone had a, a breakout right. um, you know, to separate them from the field. Um, they're all great Republicans. They're all great candidates. You know, we, we like them all, but nobody seemed to break out where they're going to become that, that challenger. Um, you know, I th- I think some of them had some very good moments. Uh, Governor DeSantis looked more statesmanlike. Nikki Haley had some very good points. Tim Scott. Um, Governor Bergum surprisingly most people don't know him but when he talks people say oh he seems like uh, a legitimate.
1: But you know what person. I don't get and 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 I agree with you. I thought Burgum actually had some good points about what his record was in in North Dakota. Here's what I thought was interesting. I hosted a show for 3 years at Newsmax. Right? Not once. Now, I I could go back and check with my team back then, but I don't believe once Doug Burgum or his team reached out and said, we'd like to come on. Not just my show. I don't remember him ever appearing on Newsmax. Now, here's my point. If you're thinking, even thinking of running for president, why wouldn't you have been doing conservative media and getting out there and talk about the success story of North Dakota? I'm with you. I hear a lot of the stuff that he's done on education, some of the stuff he's done on business. And I go, wow, that's a great story. But where were you for the last? I mean, he's been, he's in his second term. And, and I kind of look at a guy that that's smart and business savvy and to say, if you didn't bother to do a bunch of interviews before or visit New Hampshire, I mean, did, did he visit New Hampshire prior to announcing? Not
0: that I'm aware of.
1: Right. So I, I look at it and I go, Hey, I'm sorry that you're not doing better, but DeSantis was traveling around doing Reagan Lincoln Day dinners. Uh, courting donors, you know, Nikki, same thing. She had a pack. I just, I don't, I I don't feel bad for the guy. I actually feel like it's too bad he didn't get out there earlier, but I don't know how you decide to run for president and you don't hit the circuit or test the waters before and think you're just going to buy it. Jennifer?
0: I I, I mean, I I can just tell you, we're already hearing from people who are thinking about running in 2028 (laughs) And so, you know, it's it's not too early to, to start just to meet the people and understand the, the, the groundwork. So uh, I don't know um, what goes in his calculations. I did go to North Dakota. It's my 15th state and they sent me a T-shirt. <laughs> That's so, nice. so that was kind of I mean, it's a pretty well run state, but um, I don't know why. And unless unless he genuinely wasn't planning on running for president until recently. Jennifer, uh, I get I that, think- right?
1: I, I get it. He might not. Have, but, but if you're going to turn it on, then don't be all in a tizzy about the criteria. I mean, I I don't. It's like saying, hey, I didn't know the you know, I didn't know that I wanted to run the, the marathon next week. And now I can't finish it because it's twenty six point two miles. They should shorten it. That's not the marathon's point. I mean, the the, the race organizers problem. It's your problem for not training for it.
2: Absolutely. You know, I thought it was really interesting. So I try to pick up on all the cues of what the candidates are saying. And it, all I took away from that debate with Doug Burgum is that he was running for another term as governor. That's right, of North Dakota. Right. It sounded like he was out there and that was his campaign was that he was running for governor. Maybe he wants to be a United States Senator. I don't know. But it just seemed like he just kept reiterating his experience as governor, but without translating it as to how that would appeal to an American population three, over 300 million people across the United States from his one little state. And so I don't discount his, um, his experience, business, and as a governor. But it just felt like he was running for governor again, and he was trying to, you know, be the kid in the classroom. Ooh, ooh, look at me! Look at me! Look how smart I am! Look how much information I can say! But I just didn't feel that it was—it was on the presidential level.
1: Well, I agree. I mean, I think the thing that I thought was interesting to your point was he—he he did a great job as a Chamber of Commerce, you know, supporter, saying here's why you should visit North Dakota, maybe have your business or raise your family there. But in contrast to Governor Desantis who kept saying this is you know Florida's the model for this and here's what we've done. I don't think that Burgum connected what he's able to accomplish to why he wants to be president. And I think for a lot of people they probably agree with what you said Jennifer uh, which was I great. I maybe I'll tell someone to move there but I don't know that I I think that you're making the case to be president. Is that Chris do you think that that's how New Hampshire residents picked up on that?
0: Um you know I I, I have to be really strictly neutral so <laughs> This is a tactic. Forgive me for that, but um, (laughs) but um, it's he's for not knowing him for people who didn't know him. I thought he actually is doing well, having being a total unknown, kind of telling his story. And the story he has to tell is what he's done in North Dakota. Um, You know, is that going to be enough to propel him towards the front of of the line? You know, time will tell. But it's it's a steep road. For anybody who comes in as a relative unknown, uh, but Vivek Ramaswamy, um, he's he portrays um, just a very quick wit, you know, very smart, very intelligent, energetic uh, person. And he came to New Hampshire for the first time in February. Uh, we hosted him. I had no idea he was running for thinking about running for president until that night. We had a little um, we have a soundbite lecture series where we go deep on one topic and he was talking about woke and we're sitting on the stage and I was interviewing me. and things was going great. And at the end of it, he's like, yeah, and I'm thinking about running for president. And I was like, yeah, I'm the party chairman. I, I gotta make sure I'm fair and, and equal with everybody. So being completely neutral and fair, um, you know, he just kind of brought it up. That was in early February. And I just took over January 28th as party chairman. So it was about a week later. And, um, but since then he's, uh, He's put in the shoe leather yeah. um, to to get him where he is on the stage. And uh, I think it's the dynamic is great. You know, have experienced governors, people who've run for president before, um, you know, Vivek, you've got U.N. ambassador, senator. We've got a great mix of Republicans. We've got a deep bench that the Democrats don't they don't have anything. So you know what- I, I think. We, we come together when this is over. We should have a great November in 24. So, you
1: know, it's funny you say that. I was watching one of the clips this morning um, as I was flipping through the morning shows and they were they had an image of the debate last night. And if you look like at the the clips of the debate in terms of center stage, you have Vivek, Nikki, Tim Scott. I was like, we're the party of diversity. And and if you it wasn't, you know, I hate to, I don't mean to say this, but a lot of times you had, Candidates that have run before, but they've they've not been the top tier candidates. Those were the center podiums. I mean, I thought it really reflected well on the party last night from an image standpoint. Vivek is young, he's a, a person of color. His parents were immigrants. You got Tim Scott that talks a lot about uh, a very uplifting, positive message. Nikki, very successful. Her parents, same thing. I just, I actually thought from an image standpoint. The, that was really to me the takeaway of the party that I don't think that frankly there's enough discussion of. Uh, and, and that might be something that that as a party is embraced a little bit more, Jennifer.
2: Sean, you know what? I that I talk about this all the time with people, especially, I mean, you know, I live right next door in in Massachusetts and it, it's horrible. And I love when Kelly Ay out is like, we don't want to become them because Right. You don't want to become, no one wants to become Massachusetts. And I tell this to the Democrats here all the time. Hey guys, you know what? Look at my stage and look at what you have. You've got an old white guy who doesn't even know whether he's wearing shoes with laces or slip-ons. I mean, so, you know, it's like propping up the guy at weekend at Bernie's, prepping up Bernie. That's what Joe Biden is. And their bench is so lame that they're bringing back Kamala Harris because that's kind of the best that they have, right? Which is scary to all of us because a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala. And so look at our stage on the other hand, you have, you know, the oldest person on that stage is in his 60s, that's what we have. That's what we're offering. The youngest person is 38. That's amazing. The The difference in, in background and in history and in demography, everything about it is just so wonderful to see. And, and as a mom with two voting age daughters, it is great to look at them with this straight face and say, yes, I am proud to be a Republican. And, you know, talk about this to your friends because we're not the party of the old white guy anymore, the old wealthy white guy. We are a party of diversity. We're a party that encourages a woman, encourages minorities to be up there. And I think that is so cool for us. And poo-poo on the Democrats for bringing out, you know, the same old guy that's been out there for 40 years.
1: Yeah, Chris, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening, though. Before I go, Chris, did you want to make a comment on that? No, I, I think it, it's great.
0: And the all of these candidates um, are accomplished people in their own rights. They're, they're people who have accomplished great things, you know, every single one of them. Um, and, you know, we haven't mentioned Mike Pence yet, but, you know, Congressman, governor, vice president. He's on the stage, um, competing equally in the discussion with Vivek Ramaswamy, a young guy, um, businessman, billionaire. And then, so we've got a great mix of people that our, our voters are going to be have, uh, be able to have a choice uh, with, with the Democrats. You've got, you've got Joe Biden. I mean, really? That, that's that's awful. But let me We've ask got you a this. great choice, and they've got no
1: choice. But we're not talking about Mike Pence. Is that because Mike Pence didn't do anything for us to talk about? Uh, I, Mike
0: Pence is well known, and you know he, his positions, I don't think have uh, really changed. And so he's a known quantity, so I, it's it's kind of hard for him to break out with a new a new policy or something to talk about because we kind of know him. Uh, he, he's been around, uh, and and so it's it's kind of like Donald Trump. I mean, he doesn't really need to be on the debate stage, uh, debate stage, in in some respects because he, right. he was president for four years. We we kind of know what he's right. going to do, and uh, so he doesn't need to break out. He he's already out. Um, it's 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 maybe good for the other candidates that he's not on the stage, so they can I, figure out who else. You know, people educate people and what they stand for. Yeah. So I think when Mike Pence is in that category, he's a known quantity.
1: Let me let me just ask you guys a question. And then Jennifer, I I, I will let you go because I, I want to focus on some New Hampshire specific stuff. Uh, but before you go, I want to just ask you this. I have a working theory, which is everyone keeps saying after the first debate, and we'll see after this one, the numbers aren't moving much, right? Trump's, let's call it, let's just say 50% for argument purposes that are locked in. Those are your Trump supporters. And everyone else uh, below that has gotten anywhere from, you know, 2% of to, to 12, 13, whatever, somewhere in there. And they kind of go up and down a little here and there. I believe that that there is a working theory that the the Republican electorate has made their decision up. They've looked at these candidates, they know who they all are. To Chris's point about Mike Pence, he was a governor, a congressman, vice president. They know who he is, they know who Chris Christie is. They they've and that they've kind of said, okay, this is who I'm with. There doesn't seem to be a ton of movement, meaning. You can have another debate if all you want, but I don't know that anything more is going to move. Trump's been indicted four times. He had this now motion from Letitia James in New York. At some point, you have thrown everything at the guy and it's not moving. I just wonder if there's much movement left to have.
2: I think that there is. Look, elections are a marathon. They're not a sprint, right? The other one I really love telling people is, this is dating, this isn't an arranged marriage, and it should be an opportunity for voters to get to know those other candidates. The election is still so far off. And yes, Super Tuesday is coming fast and the caucuses are coming fast. New Hampshire is right up upon us. I know that, but I still think that, you know, there's there are people who are diehard Trump supporters because trump said everything that goes on in their head but at the end of the day i also think that voters are looking for someone to win a general election and in order to win a general election you can't go slamming other people you need to talk about our energy policies you need to talk about the economy inflation education healthcare. and i think that those are things that people are still getting to know all of these candidates and, and listen to them and hear from them. I mean, I think it would be great to maybe separate the stage a little bit and have you know one hour of three or four people and then the next hour of three or four because it was a snooze fest for such a long time last night. But I think voters really wanna still get to know those candidates. It's just that Donald Trump's personality and the fact he was such a much better president than the disaster we have right now is out there. It, it clouds the judgment still.
1: All right, Chris, Jennifer, uh, I wanted to focus just on New Hampshire for a second. Let her go. I know I'm going to be up there in, in October to join you for the first in the nation event. Here's my question for you, though. New Hampshire is this storied history as being the first state to vote primary wise. We all see, you know, uh, on, on election night, we watch everyone cast their first votes and um, when the, with, with what the Democrats have done, does that help put New Hampshire in play for its four electoral votes? Because do enough Democrats say, I can't believe we got screwed, I'm willing to vote Republican or sit it out?
0: I believe it does. And in New Hampshire, our registrations are 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, and 30% undeclared. And so the undeclared voters can select either ballot in the primary, so they can walk in undeclared and say, "I'm declaring as Republican," and pick that ballot. If there is no contest on the Democrat side and the president's not even on the ballot, they're more likely um, to pick a Republican. Is that, but ballot is that a good thing? Primary. But
1: but do you do you want
0: yeah. that? Uh, I, I think it's a great thing. Why? Uh, for one, it 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 demonstrates. Um, the breadth of our big tent in New Hampshire and in New England, you know, to win, you have to have a big tent. You have to appeal to people in the center. So it'll reflect better our, our full electorate. So we'll have a more electable general election candidate, but also you're, you're more likely to vote for the party that's allowing you to vote in their primary. Okay. So if you're undeclared, you walk in and you, the Democrats say we have nobody on our ballot for you to vote for. Oh, the president's not there, but you have a competitive race on the Republican side and we encourage them to take Republican ballots. They're more likely to vote Republican in the future and to stay Republicans. So let me so to... we think it helps us. And the president basically abandoned right. New Hampshire. President Biden abandoned and said, I don't want your vote. So for ven- Democrats to vote for him in big numbers, they would have to to implement, you know, the, the political version of the Stockholm syndrome. You know, you basically hit me in the face, but I'm still going to write in a vote for you. Well, and it, it, uh, so I, I, and, it,
1: and I it know really... coming up there, that, that's a key part of the, the New Hampshire and, and even in Iowa, their their economy. So, I mean, you've really screwed a lot of the, the businesses up there by not right. even going up and campaigning. But let me ask you this. I, I know because of this, there is some question now about New Hampshire always hosts a debate, uh, you know, for the, on the Republican side. I, I was up there at St. Anselm's for the for the in 2015. What what's the what's the rub and how do you think this thing works out? Why is that that what what is the what is the issue at stake? Yeah. So so
0: the Iowa caucus is January fifteenth. We were planning on going January twenty third. Okay. If the Democrats in Iowa turn their caucus into a primary, our secretary of state by state law will have to go a week prior. The RNC. My understanding is that the debate committee had scheduled a debate, or they were looking at. Debate in New Hampshire the week before the primary, so between Iowa and New Hampshire. So if we move forward, then that date doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and so I, I understand the, the the logic of it and the timing because now you're into Christmas time, and so um, it, w- it would make it difficult logistically to do as well. Um, but we're hopeful that the Iowa Republicans can stop the Iowa Democrats from violating the Iowa state law which says a caucus is a caucus and it's people coming and voting in person um, versus a mail-in caucus, which then becomes a primary. So the Democrats in Iowa, I mean, if you can screw it up, they will. I mean, I don't even think they counted the ballots from four years ago. They haven't even finished their caucus from four years ago. So um, hopefully the Iowa Republicans will prevail and there may be a lawsuit to, to force the Democrats to do what Iowa state law says. Yeah, And we support the Iowa Republicans 100%. They've been very good. The RNC has been very good to New Hampshire. Right. It's been very supportive and uh, we really appreciate it.
1: All right. Well, I look forward to getting back up there for that first in the nation primary in October event. Uh, I appreciate you having me up there and uh, I'll set everybody straight. How's that?
0: Uh, that'll be great. And if anybody uh, wants to check out that event, that's uh, nh.gop. You can check it out. You can sign up to attend if you like. Uh, all the candidates, uh, th- 11 out of 13 candidates will be there. President Trump, you know, he's hes not uh, attending these type of events generally. But we've got a lot of other speakers, including candidates, uh, you know, Ronald McDaniel, Senator Ernst, Congressman McCammack, our top, our top billing, Sean Spicer. There we go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Number one. Yeah.
1: uh, I mean, who cares about presidential candidates?
0: Yeah, we got a few. Yeah, those are secondary to Sean, though. uh, (laughs) That's awesome.
1: All right. We'll see you there. Thanks for sharing your insights with us today. All right. Thank you, Sean. You bet. All right. Uh, I think we all agree. Last night's debate did not go well. The question is, where do we go from here? Some good suggestions about how to retool this thing. The big question is, what will be done? We have a debate. We have a debate. It's in Miami. I've reported this, and supposedly, uh, NBC News. I I don't see this getting better though. If that's the case, four percent is not going to get too many people off the stage. Uh, but this was not helpful. I actually believe what I was saying at the end is what matters. I don't think I think everyone's kind of knows where they are. They're with Trump or they're looking for an alternative. But most people are settled. We're not seeing the movement that you normally would. Um, tomorrow we have a great discussion with Tommy Tuberville, uh, who is the Democrats have been going after for all of these stopped the blockade on military promotions in mass but it's not the real story the media and the left aren't telling you what's really going on you're going to want to hear i'm going to break it down with him as far as how it started why it's happening and where things go um thank you to everybody who's been subscribing to the sean spicer show especially on apple podcast that is a huge marker for us go there give us a five-star review thank you for all your support and obviously for those of us who are on youtube as well Um, Looking forward to tomorrow and then we've got, of course, next week and next week's shows. My gosh, the government might be shut down, but we will not be. I promise you that. See you tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.